LeBron James is breaking records. What do you think is the most unbreakable record in Cleveland Guardians history? Comment below. We're going to discuss it on today's episode of Locked On Guardians. You are Locked On Guardians. Your daily podcast on the Cleveland Guardians. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello, everyone. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com backslash Locked On today to get started. Uh, I want to take a moment and thank you for making Locked On your first listen today and every day, wherever it is you get podcasts. And on today's show, there is another non-roster invitee to camp after we went through all of those yesterday for us to dig into. Uh, we're going to talk breakable and unbreakable records uh, we have coaching announced. I think there was just one to be determined on the entire coaching list we got sent. And then uh, we're going to talk, uh, like I said, the records and uh, some realignment as that was the hot talk of the day. I'm Jeff. That's Justin. Uh, my former co-host walked away. Sorry. No cat for now. Maybe <laughs> he or she. I have two. Maybe one of them will hop in later uh, if they like the discourse. But uh, Justin, why don't you take away? Uh, yeah, so yesterday we talked on the show, if you listened, about uh, Jose Ramirez playing the World Baseball Classic. We, uh, I got some bad info there. I, I kind of, you know, as the as the podcast who complains about social media literacy, kind of dropped the ball on that one. Um, I didn't take it from just one source. I took it from uh, a Twitter account and multiple articles, and I saw a lot of um, fans from the Dominican Republic and Latin baseball community get excited about Jose's uh, participation, as he announced. Obviously, I don't really know Spanish, so I couldn't. Listen to myself and confirm, but there are a lot of articles going around on that. So um, probably not the greatest sources. So I you know, apologize for that. He is reportedly not going to play the World Baseball Class. We won't know until February 9th, but uh, it doesn't sound like that is going to be the case. You know, you'll notice then we changed some of our titles and descriptions elsewhere. But so if you listen, you heard that. Um, just take it as a, a what if, I guess. And uh, that's, uh, that's my bad for running with that and thinking it was going to be true. So uh, appreciate the people who uh, tipped us off to let us know that that was uh, probably some, some bad information and we're nice enough to keep that quiet with us to appreciate that. So apologies to all of our listeners for that. Yeah. We all get got sometimes. And, you know, it was just a situation where uh, we thought it was a credible source and I, don't know. I, I should have I should have pushed back a little more at points, maybe, or we should have spent some more time. But it happens. It's not the biggest. It's not like us. It's not like we came on. We're like Sean Murphy is betrayed to the Guardians, and then it didn't happen. I think you know th- there are levels of these things. So uh, you know it happens. I we have certainly had other situations like this. It is not the biggest thing, but yeah, it's still a fun discourse. It's still fun to discuss what would happen if he's not fully ready for camp. If he didn't play, you can take everything we said and apply it to if he needs extra rest for his hand. So just look at it that way. Uh, let, let's get into, you know, it, it's kind of fun as someone who is, you know, was a few years older than LeBron James, a, a kid I went to basketball camps growing up with, played with him in high school. Uh, that kid was much better than me, and neither of us were anywhere near LeBron. But he was, uh, you know, someone that uh, it was fun to see him grow up. It was interesting to see him join the Cavs. And to think about as a kid at the time, me being worried about, oh, hopefully he lives up to the hype. Well, uh, yeah, I think that's safe to say it's happened. 
And with the scoring record, which many people thought was a unbreakable record, and it's kind of funny that a pair of unbreakable scoring records in winter sports could fall in the next, you know, this season for NBA and next season for hockey. Uh, having those kind of potentially happen at the same time is interesting. And then uh, Cleveland, uh, you know, as I mentioned at the stop, I'm curious what people think is the most unbreakable record uh, for a Cleveland baseball player. Uh, I have some thoughts on it. Probably career batting average is the most unbreakable record for a Cleveland baseball player uh, with shoeless Joe Jackson at a 375. Uh, the, my question is what's more unbreakable that or Addy Joss at a 189 ERA. I, <laughs> that's hard to choose. I don't know. Unless we go back to a dead ball era, I'm going to say Addy Joss. Cause like, Maybe with the shift, somebody hits 375. I don't know. I, to have that as a career average would be wild. I don't know what your minimum has to be for that. But uh, the fact that Roberto Alomar is sixth on that list at 323, and that's the only guy that's been that's played in the last 50 years, um, that's pretty unbelievable. So, it, I don't know. The 189 ERA just seems like we'd have to have a dead ball error, right, Like to, to yeah. get that low. And, I mean, the other thing with Addy Joss you have to comment on is, like, he died young. Like he literally died in spring training. Uh, he was only 31 years of age when that happened. So he also didn't have a thing where it could have, um, you know, maybe risen as he continued to play. Like he had, you know, it's one of those Cleveland's got some unfortunate history between him and, and uh, Ray Chapman. Uh, but yeah, it was, you know, as a 31 year old, he passed away. Uh, so just throw that out there. He's definitely an interesting player. One of the big, what ifs, um, that occurred in Guardians history. But yeah, I, I can't see either of those falling. Um, I mean, the career wars are probably untouchable as well. A lot of that stuff that just different eras. I mean, career wins is probably out of reach at 266, if we're being honest. Uh, what'll be interesting, you know, on the other side of things is, you know, just looking through some of these numbers, uh, Shane Bieber is number one in one category already and number two in another. So he is, you know, they, this could change. We'll have to see, but Shane Bieber has already got some areas where he is the top guy. So, you know, we talk about breaking records, but like he has at least three categories I can see already where Shane Bieber owns those categories. And yeah. Oh, go ahead. Oh, that's interesting. I, I, I look at the strikeouts per nine. I'm looking at that list. And almost mm -hmm. everybody on that list has pitched in the last uh, five years for the Guardians. Yeah, uh, Herb Score is the high guy who is not. Yeah, he's the only guy. And Louis Tiant is, is on that yeah. list, too. He has not. How about like, Zach even, even Zach McCallist. <laughs> How is he on that list? Is that, is that, a, that says career, too, top ten. So it's not not a single season. That is, is no. wild yeah. to me. So that I mean, just, he that just tells that. you the age. Yeah. That just tells you the age of pitching we are in. So maybe I'm wrong saying that the ERA thing couldn't be broken. Because, I mean, Jacob deGrom had a sub-2 ERA like a couple of years ago, didn't he? Not, and yeah, not a pandemic for, year? You know, for career, though. Career, yeah. But is... don't you think, like, okay, there's Jose Ramirez, obviously. We talk about the offensive records. But don't you think that if you're if you're looking at which Guardians slash Indians records can fall, given how Cleveland has developed pitchers, you know, in the last decade or so, don't you think that it'd be obvious to point at pitching records to fall like Daniel Spino or Gavin Williams or, or somebody else, like the way they develop pitching, 
it just seems like that would be the natural thing to look at, right? Like when you look at the sexy ones, though, it's like the one problem we're going to run into with a lot of these is just like pitchers don't pitch as much and they don't pitch as deep and they don't pitch as often. Yeah. So it's like if we're looking at like pitching records for like strikeouts, like we talk about strikeouts per nine. Yeah, the highest strikeouts per nine belongs to Shane Bieber right now. Um, that could easily like, fall from to somebody else. Yeah, and right now, like Shane, the highest win percentage belongs to Oral Hershiser, who's seven tenths higher wild. than Shane Bieber. Uh, Shane Who Bieber was? He was like what in his forties when he was doing that. That was uh, all because of the late, offense. Late thirties, I want to say. Could be wrong about the Bowling Green graduate. Shane Bieber is seventeenth in strikeouts, but it's like Bob Feller at two thousand five hundred eighty-one. Uh, I mean, CeCe's a uh, Okay, here we go. Kluber got to third on that list at 1461. So only a thousand, 1,120 less. Um, yeah, that's going to be know, hard it's like, to get to. It's going to be impossible. It's going to be impossible. Um, you know what the hard part about that is, is that guys got to stick around too. Like we've yeah. already talked about how this is probably going to be Shane Bieber's last year. Like guys got to stick around to get these records. So you, any, any, any pitcher who comes up is, is pitching this well and can get their way out of the record list, chances are they can, aren't going to end their career here. And if there's one thing I could point at, too, I bet you you're, this is what you're going to say. I'm going to steal it from you. If there's one record you could predict falling, I'll say what it's going to be. Emmanuel Classe is going to break Cody Allen's saves record. Yeah. it's That seems easy. Yeah, and it's one of those things, too. Like They've had some guys who've had brilliant peaks, but they haven't had a like a – I mean, I think one can make a case right now that Emmanuel Classe is the greatest reliever in this franchise's history after two seasons. Uh, like, I think you can legitimately start crafting that case. Like, Cody Allen had a, a really strong, what, five-year run? Because the last year was not great. But it's like Doug yeah. Jones was great at peak and, and then fell apart. Even guys like <laughs> – like, well, and then he, he left and recovered and got back. But, I mean, he was – you know, he's one of those guys underappreciated for what he did. Uh, Jose Mesa, I mean, that was one of the greatest seasons a reliever ever had. Uh, His run was short, too. Yeah, and then, you know, Mike Jackson, I mean, he was really good for that that period that he had. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I'm blanking on some other ones that I was going to talk about, but it's like the guys, when they were really excelling, it was not a super long run. I mean, the t- let's just go, let's just mention this. Top Relievers. 11 sa- saves quickly. Cody Allen, Bob Wickman, always an adventure, Doug Jones, Chris Perez, Jose Mesa, Mike Jackson, Emmanuel Classe, Brad Hand, Ray Narleski, Joe Borowski, Steve Olin, who would have been much higher, of course. Again, a third Guardians player tragedy. I, I don't know if any other team has quite as much. Um, uh, are Joe Borowski's 51 saves, is that all one season? Was that all 2007? Uh, I mean, he only had the... Didn't he have no, no, uh, 45 that one year and then six the next okay, year? So he was terrible, mostly one season. That his yeah. the, the, the bulk of that was one year. And I, I'm just gonna keep saying, too, Cody Allen never got the kind of love he deserved no. in Cleveland. No, I mean, he was he's the greatest right now, he's the greatest reliever in franchise history. Um, mm-hmm. it's just unfortunate. I mean, he is his career essentially fell apart after age 28. Like relievers last forever. That's kind of the the thing with relievers. Like you're supposed to be able to pitch till you're in your late 30s because you don't have the wear and tear. And he just wasn't the same guy. Like he was supposed to have another decade of piling up the saves, even if it wasn't. I didn't think it'd be in Cleveland, honestly. But yeah, I you know that's that's the one you can you can bet on uh, offensively. 
you know, it, it's just so hard. It's like we go Jose Ramirez is eighth in doubles, but Tris Speaker's got 486. So yeah, good luck with that. He's, you know, very, uh, he needs another 200 to get there. Can he, can he average 20 for the next 10 years? I mean, maybe if, you, know, I, <laughs> you need 10 years at an average of 20. Um, if we bump it up to like, you know, 25 at eight for eight years, 34, you know, I'm not going to keep doing the math, but you know, you kind of get my point. It's, it, Don't ask as, me. Mu- as much as I love Jose and as much as he's going to be the greatest third baseman in this franchise's history, it's going to be hard for him to even be like top five in a lot of statistical categories when it's all said and done, just because so many guys like, I mean, Nap Lajoie played a long time. Trish Speaker played a long time. Lou Boudreau played a long time. Uh, Jose Ramirez is currently ninth in position player war. He should pass Larry Doby this year by baseball reference. Maybe Joe Sewell. Uh, I mean, he's got a chance. I hope. Up. Hope he passes Joe Sewell this year. It's five wins. They, uh, five the Guardians six. need him to get five. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like eventually we'll see him get past Homie and Lofton. And, but I, you know, I'm not sure if you can count on him at, I mean, you're, you would let, you're assuming he probably gets to Boudreaux, but I don't know. I, I'm not counting on him getting past Lashway and Speaker. It's like those two at the top were, were almost like generational talents at their position in the era that they played in. And they played a lot. And it's just, it's hard to get past that. And you look at a lot of these, these things, it, you know, if they could actually sign and keep someone, maybe hits because Nap Lashway is in only 2,000 hits. Like if someone was like a 2,500 hit guy, uh, Jose Ramirez is currently, if you're curious, at 1,200. So I don't think, I mean, maybe he's got a chance at hits. Maybe if he can keep it going, you know, that's, that's what it comes down to. But, um, but yeah, it's, I, I guess I would bet on, like you said, class A is the one that makes the most sense amongst the big counting categories. Um, and then Jose Ramirez will always lead these teams and lead the team in uh, helmets lost. Oh, yes. No, no, I, I don't even know if he should even have to put that on there. He is number one. There's no doubt. It's not, a, and this is not, a, this is not like a sexy award. Nobody's going to be, you know, like, oh, this is such a fun award and they're going to, you know, get excited about it. But it's interesting. Uh, the one award I think uh, he might be able to tackle is the extra base hit. So Earl Averill, is it Earl Averill or Averill? I feel stupid saying this. Uh, I think it's Averill, but we know my pronunciation is pants yeah i i should know better i feel bad not knowing that someone will correct us it's earl avril avril i thought it was yeah. avril. um he's got 724 career extra base hits jose's at 514 so jose needs a little over 200 extra base hits over the next five years what is that that's uh that's not that much 200 over five years so that's, that's 40 you know, extra base hits a year 40 a year i think that's doable for jose it's, it's it's it would it's be doable. close. So yeah, it's doable. Could, it's definitely it's got to be health. Yeah, health for sure. Tris Speaker's in second there at six sixty seven. I think he'll get there. So that's like like I said, it's not like a, a very exciting award, but you know he could come close to that one. Um, and going back to your thing about position war and baseball reference, and and while we both probably favor Fangraphs version of war for mm-hmm. single season, if you're looking at historical data, we've both said that Baseball Reference kind of has them beat there. Um, yeah, getting to 34, 34 more wins would be a lot. I think catching Lou Boudreau at sixty-two from where he is at forty now, I think is is probably doable. And after that, like it's, you said, it's going to be health and how long he sustains his peak. I don't, it's going to be difficult. Just moving into his thirties as that goes, you know, it's like especially yeah. 
smaller guys, a little bit of a more rotund build, there's there's certainly higher risk of fall off. Uh, but where you're not going to fall off is when we talk about all the great coaches that help build this organization. And when we talk about one of our fantastic sponsors and friends, and those are the good people over at Built Bar, not Built Bar, ooh, off day for me, FanDuel. Let's get it right. This year, the only app you need at the Super Bowl at your Super Bowl party is FanDuel, America's number one sports book. We're really excited about our new sports betting partner for Locked On because the number one sports book in America, FanDuel. And if you're new to FanDuel, that's even better. They have so many great features to make betting on sports fun and easy. Download FanDuel now so you can bet on Super Bowl 57 with a no-sweat first bet. You'll get up to $3,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. FanDuel lets you bet on everything from the money line to point spreads to whole score touchdown. I think you and I both agree. Bet the over on the Guardians if you're into such things. The FanDuel app is safe, secure, and super easy to use. Best of all, you get your winnings instantly. So join FanDuel today at FanDuel.com slash locked on to claim your no sweat first bet on Super Bowl 57. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 86 and a half wins, right? That's what we said yesterday. Correct. Um, Jumping over to the pitching. uh, Pitching. Nope. Jumping over to the coaching. Wrong ing. Uh, it was definitely, you and I thought it was very interesting looking at who moved around, uh, who are some of the names to know people moving into roles, uh, seeing Owen do and junior Patances continue their rise as rising stars in this system were two of the ones that stood out. Um, for me, Bradley Goldberg getting a, getting his first job as a, I mean, he was a roving pitch instructor, I believe, uh, former Ohio state pitcher, former Chicago white Sox pitcher, but then immediately being thrown to double A, that's unusual and also speaks to a rising star in the pitching system. Uh, we are having fun kind of looking at some of these names. Uh, it's always interesting because what are coaches? Uh, there's no one in here that was like a super accomplished player in their day, but often that's not what makes a great ke- uh, coach. It's more sometimes having struggled, having played through things, having to figure things out. And there's a lot of former players on this list. Uh, who do you want to jump into and talk about? I mean, yeah, Owen Dew and, and Junior Bertances, like you said, are guys that are rising. The, the name the name of the manager doesn't stick out to me, but I will say, and I think I've said it on the podcast before, is Greg Desenzo. He was the captain's high, high A manager in 2021 and 2022, and he would have been in 2020 as well, although he might have moved faster if um, the pandemic not cost him there. But he is now the bench coach in AAA. Uh, he's got a good relationship with the Guardians director of player development, Rob Serfolio. So Desenzo tried to recruit him uh, at Holy Cross um, when Desenzo was going to play college ball, I think. So those two have a good working relationship. They've known each other for quite a long time. Um, I think it's interesting how fast he's moving. You're talking about a guy moving fast. Like you said, Goldberg is a great story because, a, he's, for me, a, he's from Beach. I talked to him last year for the News Herald. Uh, he did, was a great interview, great dude. Came Goldberg came this close, this close to pitching in Cleveland. He got called up for the White Sox, and it was like they were about to play Cleveland or something. He, they were in Detroit, and then when they were coming to Cleveland, he got like sent down or something. So he was like so close to playing in Cleveland. Um, but yeah, he even he made his major league debut in Detroit, I think. So it was pretty close to home. But he's from Beachwood, Ohio. Went to Ohio State for a little bit. I know he started somewhere else, but he didn't. He ended up at Ohio State. 
and coached at Ohio State. Now he's in double A coaching for the Guardians, which is amazing. So quick rise. But uh, Desenzo has gone from, so he was uh, the head coach at Holy Cross for a long time. And then he was the captain's manager, like I said, in 2020, even though there was no season, 2021, 2022. And now he's the bench coach in AAA. So I think that's quite a rise for him. And then other other couple of names people recognize, I think, are um, if you followed the minor leagues for quite a while, Jordan Smith, who was a former prospect who I was extremely high on and I was obviously wrong about, unfortunately. I get a lot of things wrong. There was that period of time, I'll do my favorite thing, or everyone's favorite thing, uh, and step on your words, uh, where they, you know, I, and a lot of people took this and ran with it, but I swear, I was the one who pointed this out, that there was about a five-year period where they took a up-the-middle player, at least someone who was drafted as a shortstop, second baseman, center fielder, pitcher, or catcher, with every day one or day two pick for five years. So it was like they were, uh, it was something like 60 picks, and 59 out of 60 were up-the-middle players when they were drafted. The, the one guy who was not Jordan Smith, third baseman when he was drafted. That was just a bit of fan, fun, random fact. If you ever heard someone mention like that, that, that I swear that was back when I was about the only one covering the guardians mm-hmm. draft in depth enough to know that. So, uh, but yeah, no, he was, yeah, you know, spent a lot of time getting to know Jordan when he was in double a, he spent a few years with Akron. Yeah. I, I thought for sure he was going to be a good prospect and not, not just cause I thought, you know, my own opinion, but other coaches, who were coaching against the captains at the time uh, when he was there, like I said, he was a good hitter, but he, you know, things didn't work out. And he is the, now the manager for Lynchburg low a. Um, and then who's the other guy I was, I was going to mention. Oh, uh, double a too as well. Double a. Uh, maybe, but double a Daniel Robertson had a quick cup of coffee for the Indians back in 2019. I want to say maybe it was 2018. I can't remember. Uh, short little short dude. He was about five. I don't know. Maybe maybe I've got maybe five nine. Uh, very popular player with his teammates and and in AAA uh, people really liked him a lot. So he is the bench coach in Akron. He just came aboard, I think, to the system last year. So he's really liked. Um, yeah, Odor stays in Akron. He's been there for quite a while. And yeah. Tony Arnold has is pitching coach again in Lynchburg. No, this oh, is going to the our sheet. They say he's new to that position in Lynchburg. Okay, yeah, he's 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 been their pitching coach at random red levels yeah. throughout the last several years. So that's interesting. Uh the rest of them I'd be nerding out on. I mean, yeah. really into this stuff like we are. TJ Rivera was a former Mets player. He is probably the most accomplished player on this staff. We were yeah. just checking to see and they, he just the signed, show if, you want to talk about a resident star. He just signed like May of last year. So he hasn't even yeah. been with this team a year, and he's getting a head a manager position. So, in Arizona, and not only that, but he is external. Like a lot, of, usually yeah. they go with internal guys. And like I'm, I'm looking up and down the list. Like we talked about Lynchburg's hitting hitting coaches, Ordemar Valdez. I remember him as a player. Um, Anderson Polanco is the pitching coach in Arizona. I remember him as a player, and, and the bench coach is Earl Inserta. Remember him as a player, and Jan Rivera is the is the bench coach in Lynchburg. He was the bench coach in. Lake County last year, and he is the son of the first captain's manager, uh, Louis Rivera, who is the bench coach in, or one of the coaches in in Toronto. And then, uh, oh, Caleb Longshore, he has been in the organization for a while. He's the He was the captain's pitching coach last year. He'll be the pitching coordinator in throughout the system. Luke Carlin's still there. Grant Fink is still there. Um, 
And if you're if you're ever in a minor league game, if you're listening to this and you want to go to a minor league game for the Guardian system, um, if you ever get a chance to to talk to any of the players or talk to any of the coaches, ask them about Johnny Goral. Johnny Goral has been around the system, yeah. this organization for like longer Never. than I've been alive, and yeah, and he just has some of the coolest stories, like who he faced, what he's been through, and just all the experience he's gained. Johnny Johnny Goral is an absolute legend. I believe he was the one too that was like really high on Santander. Like he was the guy who was given, you know, I was hearing secondhand like Johnny Goral saying this is his favorite hitter since since well, I'm not gonna say anyone because I don't want to get in trouble. But you know, yeah. since some big names that came through the system. So you know it, oh, it is and we probably should mention the Guardians hired their first ever um female on field coach and Amanda Kamakona. She is the hitting development coach of the Arizona Complex League. So they've had, had Obviously, like other staffers and support staff and women in those roles, like Anna Bolton and Jennifer Wolf, who have been kind of well recognized the last several years. They're in different departments, but um, Amanda Kamakona is the first on-field female coach in the organization's history. So that that was pretty cool. I thought. No, no, it's and yeah, definitely. You know, uh, my general view on all of this is uh, take the smartest people you can get and the most qualified, and who cares um, what they're gender interests or yeah. likes are as long as they're not criminals that's that's yeah. my, you know, greatest mind that's a good philosophy. no criminal record and that's all i really care about if it helps you win it helps you win it's you know i, I could go back to the castadano days where i was like whatever helps you win um don't uh don't, don't, don't get a book written about you called you, win at all costs right or winning winning solves everything yeah don't uh the astros book <laughs> yes keep it you know keep it legal right let's not let's not go crazy let's again they right. cheated so it's that's what i'm saying get the greatest minds you can and it's, you're gonna be in a good situation i don't care really anything else uh but it's great to see representation at the same time i don't want anyone to think i'm minimizing the importance of representation um so i think it is important i think it's great uh because there are definitely probably thousands maybe millions of ladies out there who can evaluate baseball better than me. So, right. Yeah. I am, I am positive. She was qualified for the job. The yes. guardians are not hiring somebody no. who isn't qualified. Just exactly. Because yes. Yeah. No, no. This is someone who is incredibly good at their job. That's, that's why this front office gets, uh, it gets just eviscerated every off season <laughs> with people ripping and shredding it to pieces. And then they have to go find the next smart person. Uh, we are going to come back, talk about the Guardians had a small, small signing today. Uh, and we're going to talk about the realignment chatter that came. Uh, I know we talked about Negro League stuff. It's coming up. I want to do a little more research. Okay. I got some stuff written down, beginning it. Uh, probably going to happen next week. So if you're kind of like, hey, you promised this. I did get a few DMs and a Facebook message. Um, I'm glad that people are excited for this. I want to make sure I give it its proper due. So I want to spend a little bit more time researching some players. I got a book coming. So I just, uh, just want to say that is coming. But first, uh, we're going to hear from a fantastic sponsor, and then we're going to come back and talk about who's the newest Cleveland Guardian on today's episode of Locked on Guardians. Hey, everyone. Philip Deal, uh, Cincinnati Moeller. Cincinnati, Ohio, July 16th, 1994. His birthday is close to mine, but I am 13 years older than him, 14 years older than him. You know, I, I don't want to give my birth year. Maybe I'm 16 years older than him. But uh, let's just say that I am older than him. Uh, La Tech, University of Adamsville to La Tech, drafted by the Yankees in the 27th round of 2016. Uh, those are back during my salad days covering the draft for Scout. 
uh, that's, you know, I, I just and I had some off air talk yesterday. That 2016 year, I believe, is the year that I had the worst radio interview ever. Thank you, Texas radio station, who had me come on and discuss <laughs> things that I did not write about nor research because it was the draft and I was not focused on the Texas Rangers. Radio people, it's a great pleasure to go on, but sometimes lack of preparation just makes that. I still have nightmares six years later. Uh, deal is interesting when you look at his data. He's only got three years of data with Savant being good enough to, to give you stuff. Spins the fastball, but it has no velocity. He has no extension. He's fastball slider only. What's the deal with deal? Yeah, I don't know. This is a tough one. The numbers aren't great. I'm looking at some video as we're talking right now. It looks like he's tough on lefties. That's something I can really think of. I mean, the fastball definitely probably has some deception to it. It, it can be tough to pick up. He comes at a funky arm angle. Uh, or a funky release. I don't know. It's it's nothing against Philip Deal. Maybe he'll end up surprising us, but it just seems like uh, um, this is maybe he, a depth arm. We'll see what they, yeah. they have in mind for him. But they've got a lot of arms as it is, yeah. so maybe just a camp arm. I don't know. If you want an upside bet with him, a reason to have some more hope that it could be more there, is he started out in the Yankee system when they were just awful at development, and he went to Colorado's system, which enough said – so he did get about a year with Cincinnati where he showed some positive growth. And, you know, we'll see. If, if he's a depth arm, just be a nice depth arm. They could use that. But uh, that's that's my two cents. They also are very good about spotting guys who are under uh, undercoached and coaching them up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, listen, I have my issues with Jim Bowden, but uh, I will give him credit for constantly being a stream of, uh, inform- of like, you know, content. he's putting out articles, content. Thank you. I could not think of the word. I'm like, not information, but content. Um, he's a good content provider. Say what you want to say about him. And I think we've all thought about realignment because we all think at some point you are going to see uh, expansion. And listen, I looked at the piece. We're not going to like, I don't even remember who you put in, in Cleveland's division. Um, but my big takeaway from all of it is like, I, I remember that it was like, like the White Sox and the Cubs in the same division along with like, was it like the twins and brewers? I don't even, I don't even think it was that, I, but like you can't not have the Cardinals and Cubs together. Like if you're going to talk realignment, my big thing is you have to keep the rivalries that are there in place. Like that's first and foremost, just putting all. And the other thing I think is, is bad is this idea of like, let's so Boston, the Yankees and the Red Sox have to stay in the same division, but don't throw the Mets in there. Like let's balance out some of those big markets as well to help out some of these other divisions. Like, um, Mets and Phillies should be, in my opinion, in a separate East Coast division. Um, you know, Baltimore should probably be in that one, I think. Uh, you know, but I, I'd be curious to hear if you're a fan of another fan base. I know we do a fan of another team, I should say, not a fan base, but if you are from another fan base. Who are your rivals? Like I, Cleveland, I feel like it's just kind of year to year. I don't know if there is it. Like at points, I've hated Detroit more or the Twins more, like in season. Never the fans, just the teams. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, there are some historical rivalries. I think it's like, that's what has to be first and foremost. Cause you can't base this off of like, who's good because that's going to come go shift and change. I mean, if you're talking about the guardian specifically, and uh, well, first of all, I am, I'm, I'm not a fan of the Royals. Anybody who knows me knows that the Royals are like my least favorite team. I think it all is all because of Whit Merrifield going back several years to that. It's just a, it's a running joke at this point. I actually don't hate the Royals, but I love to to say I do because of Whit Merrifield and just other random stuff. But 
how could you not want the Ohio Cup to be a divisional thing? You could go from the Ohio Cup being four or five games, or I'm sorry, five or six games every year to being 11 a year. How could you not want the Ohio Cup to be played more times per year? You could have, I mean, if they play 11 games a year, you're talking the best of the best. There's no question who is deserving of the Ohio Cup. I'm all for playing the Reds more because traditionally the Reds are trash. Like, let's be honest. They had, I'm going to tell Jeff, go ahead. Like they had, I mean, I think even a fan of the team would admit it's like they had two playoff seasons in there. And in between they have been a top 10 picking team. Um, They have been really, really bad outside of like a three year run. And they had so many top 10 picks that didn't even work out. Like that's why, you know, it's good to see them do some changes in some of the development, but they were really bad. And for the most part of this last decade, that Reds team has been terrible. So, yeah, give me the Reds. That sounds great. You can only have four per division, right? Because it's eight, 14 divisions. Yeah. All right. For for the – give me the Midwest division. Give me Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Cincinnati, Detroit. That's my four. Give me those four for the Midwest division. I, I kind of like part of me kind of would love to see Cleveland and Milwaukee in the same division. Not oh, just I because I that. live here, but like, you know, they're, they are having lived in both cities. They're very similar cities. They have similar sentiments, 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 not like sediment. Uh, but like they're, they're very similar places. Like it'd be kind of a fun rivalry. Um, I don't know. Growing up being a fan of major league, I always kind of liked the, you know, major league was a part of like, my life as a kid like it was the movie i wasn't allowed to watch and then the movie like as i got older i got to watch you know it was that thing but it's like bob euchre being a part of that was always a part of like in my mind he was somehow tied to cleveland even though he never was uh was it mike hegan didn't he mostly play for the brewers before he became the announced guy there's always been like some you know sal bando finished off with the brewers we talked about him being a uh an ohio kid in the show there's always been a weird connection and i know it sounds totally self-serving to say it as well, but I don't know. Part of me would like the idea of a Brewers. Let me know again, comment below. Am I being a self-serving person or do you think that'd be fun as well? And you're forgetting the big part. I know people like to hate Major League Two. Major League Two was filmed at County Stadium in Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. Hey, that's so. back-to-back days. We have referenced Major League <laughs> Two in this podcast. People are like, I hate that movie. I, here's a hot take. Never- I don't hate Major League Two. I like Major League Two. I don't like. I, I don't like how they replaced Willie Mays Hayes. Yeah, I, I don't like about the replacements, but I, I do appreciate Rube, uh, the catcher in that yes. one. Some, he had some great Rube. lines. I'm just gonna say, uh, I don't hate that movie either. Uh, Major no. League Three, back to the minors. I tried to watch it once. Don't recommend that. Don't. Sorry, Scott Bakula. Um, I don't hate that one either. I hate to tell you. I, 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 okay, maybe I need to rewatch it. It's been a while. Uh, <laughs> it might have just, I think, because that's the one that's not even set with the Cleveland, isn't it? Like with the Cleveland, isn't it like the twins, twins or something? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I, the only connection is I think Corbin Burnson owns. Uh, he, uh, maybe not. I think he owns the twins. I think that's what it is. That's the only connection, but I don't even know if he's the same character. But it's also very hard. I'm going to say this. It's very hard for me to hate a baseball movie. Like, there are very few baseball movies I don't like. Like I don't like um, Trouble with the Curve. That I didn't, I didn't care for that one. Never watched uh, it. Summer Summer Catch. I gotta say because it was probably a rom com. Not my not my bag. And then didn't Mr. Like Baseball with with uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, I watched that one with my dad. 
Um, so I think that's probably like jaded and not jaded. It's like got that extra value. Like it was one of those movies my dad wa- let me watch when I probably shouldn't have watched it. Like right when that movie came out, like I should not have probably seen it unedited and I watched it with my dad. So then that's probably why yeah. I like Mr. Baseball when I shouldn't. Uh, I did not like Mr. 3000, the Bernie Mac one. You can take it or leave it. It's it's like you know it's far. I would if it was like on TV. Yeah, no, you're right. It's it's definitely you know I put I, it I, on. I, I watched a lot of Little Big League and Rookie of the Year, of course, oh, being the right love age Little Big League for those. Yes. Yeah, a little bit and little. I, I, listen, I love Rookie of the Year, but I, I think Little Big League and and Rookie of the Year are on the same level. Most people don't say that. Like Rookie of the Year got a lot more hype. Little Big League kind of fell because I was like the age when those movies came out, and I remember like missing little big league i didn't even get to see it at the cheap run theater because it went through so quickly but uh i think little big league appeals to the nerd side of me because you've got a kid trying to figure out like strategies and coaching and all these like different things and he's like a you know this he's supposed well first of all he's supposed to be like a fourth grader and he looks like he's in sixth grade i don't know but um he's just trying to figure all these adult things and (laughs) baseball concepts like you know, he's still in middle school, and he's co- he's managing a major league baseball team. That's like the dream, right there. I I guess it's it's nerdy for me to say that I would rather manage a team than play. Well, and it also had the better thing because, like, I remember again, I'm totally the right age for these movies. Like, I remember seeing the commercials for Rookie of the Year, and someone being like, "He strikes out all the greats," and I can't remember who the first two got. Pedro Guerrero. I'm like, listen, I play RBI baseball, so I know Pedro Guerrero, <laughs> but no one else is saying that. Whereas little big, like Pedro Guerrero, uh, by the way, great great hitter, Cardinals, Dodgers. I want to say. But Little Big League gets Ken Griffey Jr., which, I mean, how do you top that for a 90s era baseball yeah. movie? And like Randy Johnson. And Randy Johnson. Yeah, it's, it's you know, it's hard to. Carlos Bayerga was in there. Oh, is he one of the guys getting struck out? Yeah, he's in there. <laughs> During that, where they're, you know, the plucky team comes back and, uh, and uh, gets into that. It, it's got the, uh, it's got the, it's also got the rare, like, fail, like, uh, unlike every other movie that little big league, they do not make it to the postseason. They end up mm-hmm. you know, spoiler stuff. alert for a 30 year old, but it's, you know, it, it has the, uh, the natural ending from the book, not from the movie. Uh, if we're going to put that, uh, out there mm. as one of those things, but yeah, by the way, the natural, uh, I, I do love that. And I think my, you know, now that we've gone complete baseball movie, I'm just going to throw this out there. Maybe my most favorite underrated baseball movie and might have been because I was just young when I saw it, but it really stuck out was Bang the Drum Slowly, uh, which I believe it's a De Niro, Robert De Niro, I want to say is the is the main, is the the pitcher who, I mean, you know pretty early on that this pitcher is dying. Uh, it's, it's an interesting story. It's based off of, I believe, an award-winning short story that I should know who wrote that. But I would recommend Bang the Drum Slowly. Um, I've yeah. not seen that one. My, my underrated movie would have to be For Love of the Game. I love that storyline, but... We were not supposed to get into favorite baseball movies. Today. No, that's so do, you other, bonus. do you have any other thoughts on realignment as we probably should be getting out of here? We can probably, uh, yeah. we can probably talk more about that in the, in the overtime. We can talk some more movies in the overtime as well, probably. Um, but yeah, no, I, uh, no, I, I just think keep the rivalries going, make them interesting. I don't, don't just load up all like he had like the giants, the Dodgers, the angels all no, like spread out the big markets as well to like bring more attention to other teams. Like it, it 
cast a wider net. If we sit there and just put everyone in these little segregated groups and it's like, you know, it, it helps that the White Sox are in the Guardians division because it means there's more eyes on them in general because they have a larger fan base because they have a larger size. Like, I don't like the idea of like, OK, let's put all these small markets here. Let's put all these big markets. No, mm-hmm. spread it. That's my one take. Rivalries, spread out the big markets and uh, bring Montreal back baseball. Yes. Love that. Good note to finish on. Yep. So uh, rate and review, download daily. It helps. Click subscribe, all that fun stuff on the YouTubes. Comment, get into the baseball movie chatter below, and go, go, Guardians, go.